All right, as the children head out for Children's Church, everyone else can grab your Bibles or a Bible in the pew in front of you and find, guess what book? Romans. You nailed it. Uh, If you have not been with us or if you're visiting this morning, we are studying the book of Romans in the Bible. We have been studying the book of Romans for quite some time now because it is an awesome book. Uh, If you have not been with us, Here's basically all you need to know about the book of Romans to be up to date for today's passage. Um, God, God is real, and he is more God-like than we would have ever dared imagine or invented. He is so God-like that he is able to be sovereign and in control over everything, while at the same time preserving our freedom to make meaningful choices. He is so awesome that he came in the form of Jesus Christ to save us from our lack of awesomeness. The the main point of Romans is that God is holy even though we are not. But he is so loving that he orchestrated all of history to point to Jesus Christ, whom we follow as our Lord and our Savior, to come and make a way for us to be with him. So Romans 1 through 11, those chapters were all a very thorough meditation in the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save us. And then at chapter 12, uh, the rubber meets the road, and Paul, the writer of Romans, gets really practical and asks the question, how should we respond? So from Romans 12, verse 1 on, we've been talking about practical ways of responding to what God has done for us in Jesus. So in a word, our only response is worship. And we've learned that worship isn't some, uh, some vague spiritual idea, something that happens when we sing songs or maybe if we raise our hands and we're really worshiping when we're singing songs in church. Um, worship has meat to it. Worship is practically doing things that honor God. Okay, so we've been working through from Romans 1 and we've learned that uh, one way of worshiping God, if you want to be a worshiper of the one true God, in response to what he's done for you in Jesus. You, you can search the scriptures for direction in specific aspects of your life. So if you're trying to make a decision, you get Google or your concordance and you find scripture that sheds light on that decision and you respond in obedience. That's worship. Humbly serving as a part of the church in light of your gifts is worship. If you're gifted to teach, then teach. That's worship. If you're gifted to serve, then serve. That's worship. Um, Loving people genuinely, refusing to pretend love for people, but praying brotherly affection into reality, that's worship. Um, Honoring others, abhorring what's evil and clinging to what's good is worship. Um, Bringing yourself to a spiritual boiling point is what we talked about last week. That's worship. And today, what we're going to talk about, I think is going to be really, really practical and helpful for many of you. This is going to be really helpful, especially for anyone who feels stressed out. Does anybody in here feel stressed out these days? Okay. I, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm getting a little older and so I'm more aware, or if it's just because I'm a pastor now, so I know more people more intimately, but it seems like to me people are way more stressed out than they used to be. Do you feel like you're more stressed out than you used to be? 
Or has it always been this way? Some of you feel more stressed out than you used to be. I do. Um, I just feel like it's the common theme in every conversation I've had with people. I'm too busy. I'm too stressed out. There's too many things to do, too many decisions to make, too many pressures. So I think what we're going to read today, uh, we're going to focus on just one verse. It's going to be very helpful to you. It's going to be very, very simple. I don't have a lot of preaching to do today because it's so straightforward. So if you would, if you're able, please stand. We stand as an expression of honor because we're about to read God's word. We believe this book is different from all other books. This is God breathed. And we're going to read Romans 12 verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Father, please speak to us clearly through your word this morning. May we become a joyful people in light of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. May we become a patient, enduring people while living through stress and tribulation. Or may we pray constantly. Please do these things in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So today we're going to zero in just on verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, remember before we get into these things, these are not things for you to do to earn God's favor. You already have God's favor through Jesus Christ. These are things that you do once you have Jesus and you can respond now. You have new life. This is the new you as a Christian. This is how you are to live. So three things, very simple, very straightforward. Number one, rejoice in hope. Rejoice means pretty much what you would think it means. It means be glad. So God is telling you, be glad. So there's an underlying assumption that there's something you can do about your gladness as a Christian. And you should opt to be glad instead of not glad. Well, that seems pretty dumb. Most of you, if you're not glad, you probably don't feel like you can be glad. If you felt like you could be glad, you would be glad, wouldn't you? Well, let's see what he means. Be glad in hope. Hope, the Bible doesn't mean the same thing we mean when we say the word hope. When we say the word hope, we're saying that we hope something's going to come true that might not come true. We hope Santa brings us a bunch of gifts this Christmas. We hope for good weather, but we don't know if it's going to happen or not. Often we use it for things that we don't think are going to happen. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope. Scripture uses the word hope for certainty. When the Bible tells you to rejoice in hope, it's telling you to be glad because of what you know 
is coming. Not what you think might come, but you're not sure. So this, this is more a shift in mindset than a shift in your emotions. There, there isn't a, a gladness switch that you can pop and just suddenly feel great. It doesn't work that way. This refers more to a shift in mindset and a shift in your focus. A shift into trusting God to come through on what he said he was going to do. So it's like me with my children. You're riding down the road with your kids. They want to know when they're going to get there. Their concept of time is totally different from reality's concept of time. When are we going to get there? Five minutes. Oh, God, it's going to take forever. Five minutes is so long to a kid. Do you remember being a kid? Riding in a car and you knew you had five, ten minutes left and it seemed like an eternity? No? Some of you too far beyond that to remember it? I remember it. And I remember these conversations with my children often. They don't understand that it's, it's not going to be that long. We are going to get there. But I do. So in essence, I'm saying to them, rejoice in the hope that we're going to get there very soon. You don't feel like that's the case, and you can't understand that that's the case, but I'm your father. I understand reality better than you do, and I love you, and I'm telling you the truth. Be glad. Five minutes isn't that long. There is hope for you. We're going to make it to McDonald's or wherever we're going. In essence, that's what dad is telling dad. Well, we can call him dad. That's what God is telling us this morning. Yeah, I know you may not feel like it, you're going to make it. I know you may not feel like this hope is true. You may not be able to understand how you're going to make it through whatever you're going through or last as long as you may need to last. But God is saying to you, I understand reality better than you do. And I know that you can make it. And I know that I'm going to take care of you. So rejoice. Rejoice in, in your hope in me. Don't wait until you can understand how it's going to get better and then rejoice. Because you may never understand. But you have a father that loves you, who understands reality better than you do. And he says rejoice. Rejoice in your hope. This is not the kind of hope. This is going to sound political, but I don't mean it to be political. It's just a good example. This is not the kind of hope that Barack Obama had on his posters. Okay, when a presidential candidate puts hope, you remember those really well-designed posters that said hope, and it had Obama on there. When a presidential candidate puts that word on there, he just wants you to think, maybe there's hope if you vote for me. Now, some of you may feel like he has come through with that hope. Some of you may not. It doesn't matter. It's not about Obama. You know, Mitt could put hope with his picture. We don't know if that's going to mean anything. But with God, that word hope absolutely, with 100% certainty, means something. You can rejoice because our hope in God is sure. It's the kind of hope that you have in your lunch this afternoon. I think that all of you are going to be able to eat lunch this afternoon. Okay, so right now, it's 15 till. Your stomachs are starting to growl. And you know I have three points because there's three things in this sermon. I'm still in the first one. And you're thinking, I hope he's not going to go long. And I hope I get to eat lunch. Okay, you don't know if I'm going to go long or not. And based on your attitude, I might just. 
but you do know you're going to get lunch sometime, so you can keep going. You can last through however long I want to talk, because you know lunch is going to be on the other end of this sermon. Now, if you didn't know that, and some people may be in this position where they may not be able to afford a lunch, and they don't know when their next meal is going to come along, that's a hopeless situation, and that makes the hunger, the rumbling in your tummy you feel right now, much more difficult to bear. So whatever your circumstance, whatever the rumbling in your spirit, your soul, whatever you think you need, there's hope. It's not the hope of me finishing on time. It's the hope of lunch. It's a hope of certainty. So you can be glad, and God invites you to be glad. It's a form of worship. It's saying, I trust you. I don't understand it. Right now I'm not comfortable, but I trust you. I'll be glad. Okay. Deal? Good? Okay. The second one, be patient in tribulation. Patient means just what you think it would mean. The Greek word, it means uh, to remain, to wait, to endure, to persevere. Tribulation isn't a word that we use very often. Um, I don't. Maybe some of you are fancier than I am. Tribulation has the idea of persecution or affliction or distress. If you get really literal with the Greek word, it, it gives the idea of something that's pressing down on you and rubbing at the same time in such a way that it makes you claustrophobic and hemmed in. Okay, that's a big idea to contain in one word, but that's sort of what tribulation is. It's like a grinding friction that keeps closing in and getting tighter and tighter and makes your life get smaller and smaller. I think our word stress kind of has that connotation. So almost 100% of you are stressed out. Probably more so now that I made you start thinking about lunch prematurely. That's like sermon suicide. Worshiping, uh, back up, let me back up. Another way to worship God is to be patient in the midst of stress. So in that sense, stress is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to trust God and to wait and persevere, and be patient. Now, just one quick note on this. He doesn't tell us how to escape it. He doesn't tell us how to escape the pressure and the stress. He encourages us to stay in it and wait and be patient. And I think the reason why is because he does really awesome things in us when we're under a lot of stress. We don't like stress. We don't want to be under stress. But he does really, really good things in our lives when we're under a lot of stress. Do you remember Romans 8? I'm sure you do. But I'm going to read a bit of it to you just to refresh your memory. Paul wrote a couple chapters back in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then he he goes on, and and the idea is all of creation and all of humanity right now is in a state of corruption, which means we're in a state of, of trouble, a state of tribulation. Even the earth itself is groaning. Just, Jesus, just come back. It groans. 
Okay, so it's in that context that he keeps talking and he gets down to Romans 8.28, the really famous verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's in the context of great cosmic suffering that God hands us this promise. Remember and know that I work everything for your good. Even this really horrible situation you're in right now. I'm going to work it together with everything else for your good. Now, do you remember what your good is from when we talked about that? Is it that he's going to work it all together to make you really, really comfortable? No, that's not what he meant. Is it that he's going to work it all together so that on the other side of it, you're going to be a healthier and wealthier version of yourself? No. He meant something very specific. Right after the promise, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So in other words, to sum all that, that, that big thought up, God uses everything in your life, including the stress, to make you look more like Jesus. Now some of you may not think that you really want that. You might be here just to receive the peace and the comfort and the joy directly. But remember, God understands reality better than you do. And he knows what's good for you better than you do. What's good for you is to be changed and transformed by Jesus Christ to look more like Jesus Christ. That's what he's up to in your life. So when the tribulation comes, don't be shocked. Don't be angered. Be ready. Because that's part of the process. Be patient in it. Endure it. Before I move on, just to be really clear, your life is going to be stressful and often very, very difficult. Becoming a Christian doesn't change that. It almost makes it worse. Because Christians are the ones that God is grinding down to a nub so he can rebuild in Jesus' image. So I'm sorry if you got into this thing thinking that this was going to be a happy, fun, joy ride. It's just not. It's going to be really tough. Okay? Positive and encouraging message from Matt Broadway this morning. It is positive and it should be encouraging because at least this is realistic. And if I came here and told you, do these three things and you're going to be exploding with, with happy joy parties all day long. That's not reality. Your families are messed up. You know, emotionally, we're messed up. Financially, we're messed up. The world is messed up. It all groans, waiting for Christ to come back. But God is so awesome that even through that, he's doing wonderful things in you. So endure it. Be patient in it. Okay. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Last one. Be constant in prayer. Now, on the face of it, this seems like we should be praying constantly, doesn't it? Like right now, as I'm preaching, I should also be praying. Right now, as you're listening, you should also be praying. That's sort of what it sounds like it means. Now, let's just be honest with each other. Is that even possible? Like right, right after I said that, you started thinking about if it was possible. I bet you weren't praying while you were thinking about the answer to that question. I don't think that's what it means, and I did some research into the, you know, the original language and what smarter people than me think about it, and... The word constant, 
the connotation we have for it is different from what he means. It doesn't mean never stopping every minute praying. It means persistence. It carries with it this idea of strength and uh, intense, vigorous effort to persist and keep on praying. So it doesn't mean that you have to be praying every second of every minute of every hour. It means don't let yourself slip away from prayerfulness. Has anybody ever slipped away from prayerfulness and realized it's been like a week, two weeks since the last time you actually sat down and prayed and talked with our Father? You know, we, we need prayer. God doesn't tell us be constant in prayer because he's our taskmaster and he just wants us to do stuff. It makes him feel good to make his minions do things. He loves us and he wants us to talk to him just like I want my son and my daughter to talk to me. I don't like it when I come home and Elias is into whatever he's doing and he doesn't run up and say hey to me and talk to me. Not because I'm, you know, mean and, you know, he needs a standard attention every time I come in the door. Because I love him. You know, God loves you. Be constant in prayer. Persist in prayer. With intense effort, keep on praying. And it's a struggle. It's okay to admit that. Because we live in a very distracting world and it's a struggle. But if you want to rejoice in hope... And if you want to be patient in your tribulation, prayer is what will get you there. So, I, w- I do want to encourage you, even though I told you basically that your life is going to be difficult. You can have joy in the midst of the difficulty if you have hope. And our hope is found in God through Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you really don't know hope. You don't know that all this is going to work for your good. So first step, get to know Jesus. Become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a citizen under his lordship. And then these promises apply to you. Now I had a list of promises that I was going to read to you for you to dwell on. But instead I decided to trim it down to just the couple that have meant a lot to me. Since I have a few minutes, according to my watch anyway, I want to tell you a couple of the promises that give me the ability to rejoice in hope. I'm just going to give you one of them. I'm going to flip to it, even though I know it, because I tend to forget it when I'm on the spot. But it's actually on my watch, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is just an example of how this has worked in my life. Since it's engraved on my watch, I tend to remember it. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, And he will make straight your paths. See, that's a promise that I have clung on to many, many times and in many, many different situations. And it has given me hope. You know, when I stepped into this role, I think, if I remember right, I was 27. I had never done anything like this before. I still had a very new family. And being a dad was still pretty new. Uh, We had our second one, like, right at the same time I began as the pastor here. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not sure I'm much better off now than I was then. But God has promised me. He has sat me down and he has looked me in the eyes and he has said, trust me with all your heart. Don't even try to lean on your own understanding. So acknowledge me in all your ways 
You know, live obediently in light of what I've told you. I'll make your path straight. You don't have to get out there with a bush hog and try to straighten out your path. I'll do that. You just trust me. I've been able to rejoice in stress sometimes. I'm not always able to rejoice in stress because of hope in God's promises. And that's what I want for you guys. So rejoice in hope. You may be in tribulation right now. Be patient in it and pray. Let's pray right now. Father, help us to see clearly what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Um, Each person in here is at a different place in their understanding of that. Um, I pray that you would move them forward in that. And help us then to respond to all these riches of grace that you have lavished upon us in worship. And not just once a week for 30 minutes singing songs, but in everyday, real, practical acts of worship to you. Including, and especially this week, I pray for those who are suffering and who are under stress. Help them to, maybe for the first time in their lives, rejoice in their hope in you. And to be patient in the midst of it. And help us all to pray persistently. It's in Jesus' name we pray right now. Amen.